You probably already knew this when you did a search for the Westchester Church podcast and hit the play button. But just in case you slipped on a banana peel and bumped your noggin and forgot in the past six seconds, you're listening to the Westchester Church Podcast. By God. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Roll that beautiful bean footage. Matthew 7 and verse 12. He says, In everything, therefore, Treat people the same way that you want them to treat you. And then Jesus says, for this is the law and the prophets. And so right smack dab in the middle of chapter 7, as we come into the home stretch of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus says is something that is so utterly groundbreaking that it is in our lingo 2,000 years later to this day. It is an expression that is acknowledged both in the Christian world as well as in the non-Christian world. If we listen very closely to what, what a lot of people say, there, there are all kinds of expressions that, that even non-Christians use on a daily basis. They would be amazed learning that it actually originates from Jesus. Phrases like turn the other cheek or, or go the extra mile. We name our hospitals after something Jesus speaks about when, when, when he tells a story about a man who, who shows lavish kindness to a stranger. And anytime there's anybody in our world who even remotely reminds us of this person who, who Jesus speaks about, we refer to them still to this day as a good Samaritan. Even the word hypocrite used in a, in a religious connotation Hardly anybody would, would even know this outside of the church, but of all people, it's Jesus who introduced our world to this expression. I vividly recall the very first thing that I learned in public school. And in fact, here's a picture of, of me on my very, very opening day of kindergarten here with my, had a teacher whose name was Mrs. Smith, who had passed away earlier on in the year, um, in June. But I... I don't remember most of what happened that year, but I vividly recall how, how the very first thing that I learned in public school about here is how you are to conduct yourselves, and the very first thing that she, she had taught us in a private school setting was that in everything, treat other people the way that you want to be treated, whether it is classmates or, or especially me, the teacher. And I find that so remarkable how even in a public school, the very first thing that I was ever taught was Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And yet it might surprise us, though, learning that this was actually a principle that was already in that society at the time as Jesus says this. There had been two main schools of rabbinic thought in, in this first century culture. And there was one rabbi whose name was Shammai, the other, whose name was, was Hillel, one was what we would call very conservative. The other is more what a lot of people might consider liberal. And so as the story goes, at least, there was a Gentile man who approaches Shammai. And he tells Shammai that if you can explain everything that Judaism is all about while I stand on one foot, if you can do that, then I will become a Jew right now. 
You know, he throws him out of his wood shop. He says, get out of here. I don't have time for that nonsense. And yet the exact same Gentile person goes to the other guy, to, to Hillel, and he asks him that, that exact same question. And what Hillel says is this is pretty much a summary of Judaism. He says that what is hateful to you, do not do that to your neighbor. And we can see this, this echoing throughout the mouths of many sages and philosophers. And yet notice in every instance, though, it's always in the negative sense. In Chinese culture, later on, Confucius says that what you do not want to be done to yourself, then do not do that to others. Isocrates says that, that whatever angers you when you suffer it, do not do that to other people. And at last, in the case of Aristius, that insofar as you do not wish evils to come upon you, then it would be wisdom if you put this very thing into practice with your subjects. And so, in other words, what this is saying again and again is just don't do evil stuff to other people. I mean, just, just very niche um, things. Like, you know, Len, now I'm sure that you don't want anybody to light your house on fire this week. And so, I mean, for crying out loud, doggone it, Len, if you don't want anybody lighting your house on fire, don't go around lighting everybody else's house on fire this week, you know? Do you hear me? You know? Maisie, I mean, listen. If you don't want anybody to blow up your car with a bazooka, do listen to me. Don't blow anybody else's car up with a bazooka. Don't you even think about it. And so, the, I mean, it, it looks good on paper, but it's really kind of worthless. But just make sure that you don't go around decapitating people. I mean... If I could ask that of you this week, I mean, just, just very impractical kind of stuff. And yet notice what Jesus is doing here with this and with that. Jesus is taking a very human principle, a very negative principle, and he is transforming it into this brand new radical way of life. Only in Jesus' case, it is now in the positive where it's no longer do not do bad things to, to other people, but now it's do good things to everybody. What, what Jesus says in our text, notice how he says do to other people. Or maybe you might have a translation and it says treat other people the way you want to be treated. Notice as well as Jesus says, do this in everything that you do. It's so much more than just one or two good deeds. I mean, what, what Jesus is speaking about here is a lifestyle that I'm going to, to honor every single person who I lay eyes on today. You see, what this means is that I am going to, to, to show honor to everyone in everything, in everything that I do, everywhere that I go. And yet, here's what the problem is with this, though. I mean, I mentioned a moment ago how this was the very first thing that I ever learned in elementary school. But it just seems like it's the most elementary of things that we have a tendency of struggling with the absolute most in this life. I mean, it's one thing that we will use this as an expression or to refer to it as, as our darling golden rule. But what Jesus has in mind here 
is not just using an expression, but he wants you and I to actually become the expression. He wants us all to embody the golden rule and to be walking golden rules in and of ourselves. And yet the other problem is this, though. That this is really exactly what it was when we heard Jesus say earlier on, blessed are those who are meek. When we heard Jesus say that, that when people slander you and revile you and ostracize you, do not despair, but rather jump for joy in that day. It's just like as Jesus says, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, do not worry, do not judge, and love your enemy as yourself. You see, when it comes to showing honor indiscriminately to every single person who we see, this is yet another thing in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus is introducing us to that is simply not normal human behavior, is it? I mean, honor is usually something that we only reserve for extra, extra special people in our lives. That honor and that love and that dignity and respect is fine china that we reserve only for the people who look like us or who agree with us or who worship the way that we worship or who pray the way that we pray or who might be rich and famous, but, but whatever it is, what Jesus is saying to us is actually no honor and love and respect and dignity. That is for every single person in this world. What Jesus really is doing here, this, this is highly creative, imaginative kind of honor. Where it's almost like Jesus is giving us a life hack of sorts. It's like Jesus is giving us a mental trick that we can train our hearts with. That we can rewire our, our minds and our brains with in the way that we look at other people. When I was very little, I would never eat broccoli. I was very stubborn about that. Just would not eat broccoli under any circumstance because I never tried it before, I guess. But what my dad did rather, rather ingeniously when I was three or four years old, he would say, David, eating broccoli, he would say, what broccoli is, is tiny little trees. And it sounds crazy, but but he came up with, with it as if it were, were a game. We're just going to eat these tiny little trees. And as a little kid, I mean, it was fun. And, and because of that, to this day, I love to eat broccoli just because my dad had said that, that we're eating tiny little trees. I mean, that actually worked. I've shared before earlier on in the series about how I used to hate going to work because... I was trying to, to um, please everybody around me. You can't please people. But when I was loading trailers at FedEx Ground in Phoenix, Arizona, at 3 o'clock in the morning, grueling, grueling work, just dripping sweat for six, seven, eight straight hours without a single break, eventually when I began tricking my, my own mind into understanding that, that, wait a minute, I'm not working for all these other people but I need to go into there working for Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. And when I started going into work every single morning with that attitude that, that I'm working for Jesus Christ, to this day, all, I mean, every job that I've had ever since that time, every single day at work feels like it's Friday afternoon to me. And I found that that is very infectious with, with other people who I work with. I've heard a lot of writers say that that if you want to write a book, but you're having writer's block, 
Really what the trick is there is you just have to write the book that you would want to read that doesn't yet exist in the world. It's just a book where if you went to a Barnes & Noble and you saw it on a shelf, that, that, that your instantaneous reaction would be, I've got to have that book, even if it costs $100. And I've learned that, that this is how I've learned to actually minister to other people. Really, all that it is, what the trick is, you just have to, to mentally process that I want to be the kind of supporter in this person's life that I spent my entire childhood wanting in my own life. And it reminds me so much of, of our sister Lois, how it, at her memorial service, I believe, believe it was Mike who was saying this, Claude, who had said that one of the most beautiful things about his mother was that any time anybody had anything that they needed to, to say to Lois, it doesn't matter who they were, she would stop everything that she was doing. And she would give that person her undivided attention. Just this fierce, intentional listening, hanging on their every word, whether it was only for, for a few seconds or for an hour straight. See, this is one of the most beautiful examples I've ever heard of, of of what kind of listeners we need to be for anybody. And that we can treat that, that homeless man on the street who's barefoot with the same dignity and respect as if he were the governor himself. And what I am finding is that this way of life that, that Jesus is, is inviting us to, to follow him into, this has the power to completely conquer and eradicate so many of the problems in our hearts and in our world. It has the power to completely do away with our very human problem of showing partiality to people. When I was very young, growing up in Arizona, we, we had um, a basketball player who was um, extremely famous at that time. His name was Kevin Johnson. He was a point guard. And one Sunday night, Kevin Johnson comes to our worship service. And as you might imagine, we rolled out the red carpet for Kevin Johnson. Everybody in this church building was just so ecstatic having him in our worship building. Yet maybe 11 or 12 years after that, many of those exact same people are in a worship service with me. And yet afterwards, there are a couple of Native Americans there. And these men um, clearly are living in the streets. They, they um, smell that way and they look that way and they, they um, say that we need food. We're hungry. Can you help us out? And I had not heard about this until afterwards, but there was um, a very prevalent man in that church who had said, I'm calling the cops on you guys right now. And don't let that door hit you on your way out of here. And I didn't know any of this had happened. And, and I'm getting into the car with my older brother, Adam. And he would kill me if I had, ex had shared this story in public. But, but I'm going to do it anyway because he ain't here. But I'm getting into his car after our worship service. And Adam says, give me your shoes. So I'm like, okay, weirdo, here you go. And I give him my, my shoes. And I follow him out to the back of um, our worship building. And I see these two Native American men. And he just walks up to them and very quietly. And he says, listen, I, I'm sorry that that happened just, just now. And I want you to know that we're not, not all like that here. 
I noticed that you guys really don't have shoes, and so I'm just wondering if you want our shoes. And, and they just profusely thanked us. Oh, yes, please. Oh, yes, 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 thank you. And the reason why I tell that story is because that, that really was, was a watershed moment in my life. Because what Adam had taught me in that moment is I believe what Jesus is really driving at here in verse 12. And that is, don't just roll out the red carpet for just some people, or for the rich and for the famous, or for the luminaries, but rather what Jesus is saying is, roll out the red carpet for everyone. If they have breath and a soul and a heart beating in their chest, then roll out the red carpet for them. And yet it will also do away with, with um, gossip. I don't think anybody here would want their, their name being, being dragged through the mud behind their backs. So maybe what the mental trick is here is that I'm going to defend this person's name as if everybody had been speaking about my own name right now. It can even eradicate something as strong and as vicious as racism. I'm sure that we have all heard the story about Ruby Bridges, how... She integrated into a white school many years ago. And, and as history goes, for, for one entire year, at least, maybe even more, every single day, this, this very young black girl comes to school. There were two older white women there. One of them had a doll, a black baby doll, who was lying in a casket. And the other woman said that, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to poison you today. And this is how Ruby Bridges went to school every single day. Is if you're that person, you ask yourself, is that, if that were me walking in the school like that, would I want to experience that as a young child every single day? If that were, were my own daughter, is, is that something that, that I would want to be happening to my daughter every single day? And all that happened in the Bible Belt, by the way. And you know what I've discovered? Racism isn't just a Bible Belt problem. I believe that if we look close enough in our hearts, whether it is in a great degree or, or, or a very small degree, I believe that every one of us has some element of racism or of bias in our hearts that desperately needs to be crucified within us. This is strong enough to make us question racism. I mean, imagine how powerful this would be if we applied it to our marriages starting right now. If the husband and the wife both had processed that, you know what, from now on, I'm going to, to actually treat my spouse the way that I want them to treat me. Oh my goodness, man, that, that would be transformational. Maybe what the trick is there is just to think that, you know what, what, what I want today more than anything is to make my spouse want to say, I do to me all over again. This is something that can do it in time. It can also help so many people in our world who are a silent sufferer. And I've encountered so many people who are experiencing something in their lives that is just catastrophic, but, but they feel as if they have to completely suffer in silence. Because so many people who they have trusted, who they confide in, say, you know what, 
I have been through so much worse stuff than you. Everybody has problems and they play the suffering Olympics with them. But what this does is if we apply this, rather than, than playing the suffering Olympics with them, we are honoring every story that they tell. We are acknowledging the, the legitimacy of their pain. And rather than, than being a hurt person who goes around hurting other people, now this is empowering us to be a hurt person who helps people. Maybe what the trick is here is to think, I want to be the kind of presence in this person's life now. I wish so bad that I had when that was me suffering many years ago. I mean, it's just so powerful. And I know a person who earlier on in the year she had written something online and, and it went something like this, that, that imagine that every single person who you speak to today is going to die by midnight. And this was the very last time that you would ever see this person alive. Last words that you would ever say to them. Man, if we lived like that, going into every conversation, we would have no regrets later on about how we conducted ourselves. And so what Jesus is, is, is saying to us is, let your imaginations run wild no more in judgment and in hatred and in ignorance. But rather from this point forth, as it pertains to, to how you treat other people, let your imaginations run wild in the way that, that you're going to love them and have joy in their life and to honor their, their existence. I think another way of expressing this is that, that we do unto Jesus as we would want Jesus to do unto us. Because notice in the text what he says is therefore. And that word therefore it is very important because what this means is that everything Jesus has said up to this point, going back all the way into January in this series, all the way back to Matthew 5, 1, all of it is, is building up to, to this crescendo. This is a summary of the Sermon on the Mount right here. That in everything, treat other people the way that you would like to be treated. And yet also notice, though, that there is yet another summary, though, where at the very end of our verse, what Jesus says is, this is the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, and there um, in verse 35, Jesus is asked a question by, by a lawyer. And he's trying to get Jesus to, to make, make, make um, a mistake. And so he's testing him. Matthew twenty two thirty six says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, That you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your, your, your mind. He says, this is the great and the foremost commandment. The second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But then notice especially verse 40, where Jesus then says that, that on these two commandments depend the whole law and the whole prophets. And so how Jesus would have answered that question of, if, if I stand on one, one foot, and I ask you, what is the law and the prophets all about. Jesus' response is this. Here's what the substance of the old, old covenant is. And it's really what the substance is still in the new covenant. 
That we love God with every fiber of our, our, our being. Secondly, that we love people. And then lastly, that we love our own selves. And you know, when we do this, we are reminded when we look closely at other people, what we're struck with is that every single person bears the image of, of the divine. And then we can hear those chilling words from Matthew 25. Words that are so beautiful and yet so haunting at the same time. That at the very end of the age, he's going to say that, that I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. That I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. That, that I was a stranger and you took me in. And that's good and that's wonderful. And yet, on the other side of that is for all those other people in the world. That I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was a Native American man. And you slammed the door in my face and you called the police on me. You see, what we learn here is that for better or for worse, how we treat each other, how we treat people outside of these, these walls, how we treat husbands and wives is ultimately how we're treating Jesus Christ. That how we speak to other people or speak about other people behind their backs, it's really what we have to say about Jesus. And so what is going on in Scripture is this is that we receive God's grace. And that the main reason why God is giving us His grace is so we can demonstrate that very grace to this world in order that they might experience Jesus within us. And yet lastly, when it comes to treating others as we want to be treated, I've learned from my own self, do not expect that to come back to you all the time. Usually this is a one-way street when we treat people the way we want to be treated. I mean, we're living in a very selfish and a very hateful world. I'm sure that every one of us have known people before who, who have slandered us in workplaces. And even though they have slandered us, we, we are, are complimenting them in front of other people, but, but they still despise us. We give them a $50 gift card to a steakhouse out of the blue, and, and they still hate our guts. I mean, it doesn't matter what we say or do, they're going to hate us just because. It just does not matter. And yet, notice in the text, Jesus, does, Jesus never says, treat other people in the way that, that you expect them also to treat you. But rather what he says is treat people and everything as you want them to treat you. And this is where the imaginative part comes in so beautifully. You see, we remember what the context of this is. Jesus is, is giving us his last remedy to, to judging other people. And to, and to resorting to a pushy religiosity by force. And so going back to what we saw last week, what Jesus says is, ask, seek, and knock in that person's life. And then this morning, as he says once again, in everything, therefore, treat people the way that you want them to treat you. And so what, what I want to invite us to this week is this. is for each one of us to, to ask ourselves, who in our life do we need to, to learn how to roll out the red carpet for? 
Who in our life do we need to start breaking out all of our finest china for? That fine china of honor, of love, of dignity and respect. I imagine every one of us has, has many faces in our minds right now. Of people who we just have with, withheld all of this from for a very long time. You see, what we see this morning more than anything is that underneath whatever is causing us to dislike that person, if it's homelessness, if it's, if it's a pigmentation of their skin, if it's flaws that, that we've, we have um, observed in them, whatever it is, underneath all of that is a human soul. And what we see is that negative human philosophies come up with, with, with reason after reason after reason why we should not like other people. What Jesus is inviting us to this morning is this groundbreaking, radical, brand new way of life that, that, that zooms into to other people's hearts. And that makes, makes um, a list of, of why we should actually love this person rather than, than hate them. It was not that long ago in Kenya there was a bus with, with over 100 people inside. And it was going from all the way from, from Nairobi to the border of Somalia. When all of a sudden, it had been ambushed by, by um, a terrorist group. And they have machine guns. And they walk into the bus and they say, all Christians step off the bus right now. And in that region of the world, what that is code for is, we're going to shoot some Christians right now. We're going to have an execution outside here. And yet this is such an incredible story because what then ensued was a whole group of Muslim women inside this bus. They began shielding Christians with their bodies. Every Christian had been covered by their own body. And the exact quote, how it had been translated in the news story was, no, this is not right. Either you will kill all of us here together or you're going to leave these people alone. We are prepared to die with these people. And the gunmen and these scary terrorists, they put down their guns and they walk away with their tails between their legs. I mean, these Muslim women told terrorists what to do. And yet most amazingly of all, though, what they did was, whether they had ever heard Jesus say this or not is beside the point. But it simply shows just how powerful this way of life is, of how to look at, at people who don't look like us. For anybody who will ever tap into this, it's something that will change our world forever. I mean, what would the church look like if we were that radical with the golden rule? What would the world look like if we lived this way? I mean, can you just imagine what the church, what the world, what our marriages would look like if we constantly had kept it in our minds and everything, therefore, treat other people the way that you would like to be treated?